In this podcast, we look at the question, what were the causes of the Civil War? And we look at that question through the lens of Thomas J. Presley's article, Americans Interpret Their Civil War, which was published in 1954. To start with, many Americans assume that slavery caused the war, but to say that it is central is not the same thing as saying that it is the only cause of the Civil War. This is a point that Eric Foner has recently made. When Lincoln talked about slavery early in the war, he wrote to Horace Greeley, a newspaper editor in New York, and I quote, I would save the Union. I would save it the shortest way under the Constitution. If there be those who would not save the Union unless they could at the same time save slavery, I do not agree with them. If there be those who would not save the Union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery, I do not agree with them. Lincoln made it clear that he would use slavery as an instrument to win the war. Early in the war, that meant leaving it alone. He could not afford to lose the border states. Now, on the other hand, Lincoln did recognize that there was one sense in which slavery may have caused the war. He wrote to the future vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Stevens, that there was what Lincoln called a rub between the North and the South. The South wanted the extension of slavery, while the North, or at least the Republican Party, merely wanted to spread no further. But if the South believed that it was an existential crisis for the South not to have the right to extend its territory into the Mexican session lands, then slavery would have a central role in the war's causation. An equation might help you work out the question of what caused slavery. Try to subtract whatever factor can be subtracted and still logically see a path for the Civil War to have occurred. If there be any causes that cannot be subtracted and leave a logical path to the Civil War's causation, that may well be either the central cause of the war or an issue of immediate centrality to the question. Start with this idea. A contemporary of the Civil War, William H. Seward, spoke of the war as the irrepressible conflict. The idea was not that the Civil War had to occur, but that the South and the North were locked in a combat which had to be somehow settled short of war if possible, and there seemed to be no way to do that. In this view, the United States failed to resolve the conflict, and so the war came. Some historians conclude from this that the war had to occur. But even if that was true, what was the conflict all about? The argument that slavery was central to the war's causation is, and has always been, not popular in the South, but popular everywhere else. In 1893, a Columbia University historian, James Ford Rhodes, made the classic statement of this position. He said, There is a risk in inferring 
any historical event to a single cause. But the Civil War was produced by one thing, slavery. The question may be isolated by the statement that if the Negro had never been brought here, there would have been no Civil War. All other issues, state rights, economic differences between the sections, were mere justifications used by Southerners to protect the institution of slavery. Don't forget about the importance of the economics of slavery. Southerners own $3 billion in slave property. It would seem natural that they would fight to protect this property. Remember also that 75% of all Southerners owned no slaves. But Rhodes and others spoke of a psychology in support of slavery. Southerners aspired to the status of slaveholder and had a psychological reason to fight to protect slavery, even if they themselves did not yet own any slaves. Now, Rhodes was a northerner, but many southern historians did agree in the late 19th century and even in the early 20th century. U.B. Phillips portrayed slavery as a benign institution. Still, he argued that it should have been destroyed and that slavery caused the war. In a 1928 article, The Central Theme of Southern History, Phillips argued that the South was diverse, but it had, as he put it, a unity with common joys and common sorrows, and above all, to the white folk, a common resolve indomitably maintained that it shall be and remain a white man's country. So spoke Phillips. How did slavery cause the war? Phillips explained that Southerners looked at it not as an economic system, but as a system of social control. When the abolitionists talked about freedom, Southerners feared for this system of social control, and they fought to defend it. That's similar to what Rhodes said. Rhodes was a nationalist historian. That means he wanted an argument about the Civil War that would appeal to both sections of the country. He was not in favor of black rights, but he did think that slavery could not be wished away as a central theme in the causation of the Civil War. In 1927, a new interpretation of the Civil War was published by Charles and Mary Beard. The Rise of the American Civilization was the title of their history book about America. Why did the war occur? According to the Beards, it occurred because of the conflict between two very different economies, the capitalist industrial north and the agrarian agricultural south. The South fought the North over the question of which section would control the government, meaning which kind of economy would be supported by the government. The government would support one kind of economy or the other. They were so different that it could not support both. So this was a titanic struggle to determine the direction of America's future. The war was fought over economic matters and considerations. Therefore, the real issues actually were the tariff and the bank. These were not excuses by the South, but actual central causes. The North fought for the tariff and the bank, and the South fought against these things. On the other hand, state rights and slavery were mere linguistic devices, according to the Beards, a subterfuge to cover up other purposes. 
Beard denied that the North fought for idealistic purposes, either to destroy slavery or to save the Union. It fought to make the North an industrial capitalistic country. And Beard was sorry that it succeeded, not because he liked the South, but because he identified the problems of his own day as resulting from unrestrained industrial growth made possible by the Northern victory in the Civil War. Nevertheless, Beard read slavery out of the Civil War. The Beards were an excellent example of how historians write the history they believe their times require. They were reformers of the Progressive Era during the first two decades of the 20th century. They saw terrible economic problems in America that cried out for reform, such as child labor and excessive working hours for women. They noticed that corrupt businessmen were bribing politicians. Beard wanted to wake up Americans to these problems and convince Americans to regulate these businessmen through antitrust legislation and other economic measures. The way he tried to do this was to emphasize the importance of economic factors in other times in American history, and probably the most famous book ever written by an historian was by Charles Beard, known as An Economic Interpretation of the U.S. Constitution, in which Beard argued that wealthy men wrote the Constitution in order to protect their interests. The reason he wrote this way is because he wanted to reduce the Founding Fathers in the minds of the American people, to reduce the respect that Americans had for the Founding Fathers, because Americans were afraid to tamper with the Constitution and open the Constitution up to interpretations that would permit the regulation of business, because the American people thought that the Founding Fathers had created a perfect instrument. So by emphasizing the role of greed in the past, including in the making of the Constitution, the Beards hoped to convince Americans to agree to regulate the economy in their own day. And this was, of course, also the spirit behind the Beards' depiction of the Civil War as a struggle for economic dominance by the corporate interests of America who were dominant during the Civil War, just as they were, in Beard's mind, during his own time. Other historians have suggested different causes. One idea is that the South developed a kind of nationalism all its own, so that the cause of the war was romantic Southern nationalism. We get this interpretation from Roland G. Osterweiss, O-S-T-E-R-W-E-I-S. Roland Osterweiss presented this interpretation in a book called Romanticism and Nationalism in the Old South, published back in 1949. According to Osterweiss, by 1860, the boundaries of the United States encompassed two nations, one in the South and one in the North. The South felt it was distinct and different from the North. Southerners wanted to create their own independent nation, which is suggestive of 19th century European nationalism. Once this idea took hold in the South, it produced a war for Southern independence, like the American Revolution of 1776. Slavery, according to Osterweiss, 
was merely an identifying feature of nationalism and had a bit role in the drama of the Civil War's causation. Now, there's some evidence that Osterweiss was correct. Henry Timrod wrote a justification for the work of the Confederate Congress, which convened for the first time in February 1861. In a publication he called Ethnogenesis, he wrote, At last we are a nation among nations, and the new flag will fly in many a distant port. We also see this in the fact that the South Carolina legislature, when it voted in December 1860 to secede from the Union, declared, The tea has been thrown overboard. The revolution of 1860 has begun. Yet another interesting example of Southern nationalism is the life of Edmund Ruffin, a Virginia fire eater, if there ever was one. Ruffin was violently in favor of secession. In 1859, he heard about the raid on Harper's Ferry by John Brown, attempting to arm the slaves. Brown was, of course, captured and sentenced to hang. Ruffin was determined to see the show. He was not in the military. He was an older man, so he was not permitted to be at the hanging, but he was still determined to be there. So he enlisted in the militia, and at the ceremony, the militia guard was in place. It included all these young soldiers, but beside them was 60-year-old Edmund Ruffin. He had gotten his wish. In 1861, he was down in Charleston, South Carolina. Seemingly, he was the zealot of the early Civil War. He was, wherever the news was going on, he was there. At Fort Sumter... In Charleston Harbor, U.S. forces were refusing South Carolina's order to leave. Edmund Ruffin was reportedly the person who pulled the string on the cannon that fired the first shot of the Civil War. When the war ended in April 1865, Ruffin's lifelong dream was in tatters. So he knew what he had to do. He wrapped himself in a Confederate flag. He placed a loaded revolver to his head and he pulled the trigger. People don't do that sort of thing for economic reasons. Slavery must make room for fanatical nationalism as an explanation for the war, according to this view. Most historians, though, see slavery as the central cause of the war. But in the 1930s, another school arose which violently disagreed with the proposition that slavery was the number one factor causing the war. The most developed expression of this point of view was by James G. Randall, who wrote a 1940 essay called The Blundering Generation. He said that the American Civil War should never have happened. He believed that an irresponsible generation had led America into the war. He called them a blundering generation of irresponsible agitators who brought on an unnecessary conflict. If one had to choose one cause of the war, said Randall, it would be fanaticism. Randall pointed out that nobody in the North or South wanted the war, but that stupid, irrational, foolish, and senseless men whipped up the passions of the American people for trivial reasons, mostly politics. If people had only been reasonable, Randall said, the war would have been averted 
because it was fought over issues that should not have been causes of war. Randall said that all wars are bloody, stupid, and senseless. Organized mass murder, in other words. Now, of course, Randall was influenced by his times. May 1940 was one of the darkest times for Western civilization, at least in the 20th century. A European war was raging. Hitler's armies were on the march, overrunning France and threatening England. He wrote this essay at this very dark time to influence current events, another illustration that historians write the history they think their times require. The blundering generation argument is a fragment of its times. It has never been appealing to historians and no longer has much credit. Two arguments were more powerful after the war. Arthur Schlesinger Jr.'s 1949 essay, The Causes of the Civil War, A Note on Historical Sentimentalism, pointed out that it was naive to argue that there should not be moral attitudes in play in the Civil War. It is naive to argue that people should not become emotional over certain issues, especially issues like slavery, which involved freedom. In the face of great evil, said Schlesinger, honorable men and women will act. Randall, he thought, was arrogant to chide the abolitionists for being extremists over an issue like slavery where people ought to have been extreme. His arguments against the abolitionists overflow with moral feeling itself. The unhappy fact, said Schlesinger, is that man occasionally works himself into a logjam, and that logjam must be burst by violence. The Civil War was such a time. So was Schlesinger's time. Schlesinger was writing in the early Cold War, and he wanted Americans to mobilize against the Russians in an emotional way, just as they had done in the Civil War. One of the most brilliant essays in American history was by Peter Gale in 1951, writing in the New England Quarterly. He wrote an article called The American Civil War and the Problem of Inevitability. Gale pointed out that Randall had a deep faith in the sensibility and reasonability of human beings, a deep faith that man must be reasonable and sensible. Gale agreed that men's passions were let loose in the 1850s and that Americans acted irrationally. But he adds that Randall was wrong to believe that Americans could have acted any differently, even if the generation that fought the Civil War was a generation filled with emotion and hate and rage. That does not mean that the war could have been avoided. The war, said Gale, is rather one more proof of the general truth that the course of history is not governed by the conscious will of the majority. Randall's view, he thought, was depressing because he believed the war could have been avoided if only the men of the time were sensible. As Gale put it, For do we not know at long last that man is not a sensible being? Gale himself was influenced by the death camps and slaughter against the Jews of World War II. He was from Holland, a country that had been occupied by the Nazis. So he was influenced by his times as well, 
And he admitted it. He said that those times have taught me something about human beings and what human beings are like, and that that influenced him to believe that Randall's views had to be wrong. There seems to be no way to subtract slavery from the list of causes and still find a way in your imagination for the Civil War to still have happened in the absence of slavery. So, one way or another, slavery must be discussed in the context of arguments over why the Civil War occurred. And it must be discussed not just in the negative, not just by arguing that it could not have been a central cause of the war, but to argue that causes tangential to slavery had a connection to slavery nonetheless. That is the central theme of historiography today on the question of civil war causation, and it's hard to imagine in our country today when race is such a salient and important issue that slavery and the role of race will ever be considered anything other than a central factor in the course of the causation of the Civil War. I'm Rick Ryman, and this has been another episode of Hijacking History.